All right. Well, we are in a, um, a series that we're calling 24-6, and uh, uh, lest you think that I was super clever, I stole that from this book. Um, so 24-6 is the name of this book by Matthew Sleeth. And uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful read. He's a great writer. It's an easy read. If you've yet uh, uh, dove into it, you've realized that. And um, actually, I think I was able to read this in almost two sittings. It was pretty, uh, pretty uh, fluid. Um, you can get this book. We're selling this book, $8. It's available in the comments following the service. If you have yet to do that, I encourage you to grab that and dive into it. Um, because a lot of what we're talking about, a lot of what we're addressing comes from this material. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, uh, there are many uh, books, many pieces of material that speak to the importance of what it is that we're addressing through this, um, but uh, I think that this is a, a great place to start. Along with that book, we have these discussion guides. These are completely free. Uh, they're printed off for you and available for you after the service, so you can just go out there in the comments and grab one. You can do this as an individual, as a couple, as a family, or in your small group, and it's set up in such a way that it provides you a one-time or you can do it uh, in two sittings or in four. And quick note for those of you connecting with us virtually, uh, we also, so we want to get this book in your hands as well. Uh, so we can do that. You just need to contact us at either info at northhavenchurch.org or you can email me, adam at northhavenchurch.org and let us know that you want a book. We'll get it to you. We'll drive it to your house or we'll figure out a way to get that in your hands and we'll get those discussion guides. Actually, I believe that those went out on the e-news. Uh, we can actually email you a digital version of that. Very simple. And then um, the, the last thing I just want to uh, remind everybody of is, so last week we handed out these. These are uh, journals, and these journals were given specifically uh, in order to give all of you a practical means to be present and still, to have moments where you are living Sabbath-like efforts. And, and so we gave you these journals, and then last week I gave you five headings to go on five separate pages and encouraged you uh, five different times this past week to spend time reflecting and being still and listening and writing what it is that you've experienced. Um, we want to make sure that we can get those journals in your hands. Um, so if you didn't get one last week um, or if you weren't here, uh, all you have to do is raise your hand and one will fall out of the sky. Actually, Pastor Don will hand deliver it to you. So if you would like one, please, all you got to do is raise your hand. Uh, we won't all look at you. Um, it's totally fine. And we'll get you that journal. Um, now, I had put five statements on the screen last week that were going to be five headings for your journal. And I want to give you five new ones to put on five separate pages but instead of you feverishly writing those um, off the screen, I wanted to eliminate anxiety this morning and instead just put them on the back of the card. Wow, wow, that's, you would have thought I would have thought about that before last week, but back of the card, so you can just uh, write that down at any point. I'll take this with you and do that at your leisure. All right. 
Well, with all that out of the way, we're going to do just a quick recap, just a quick flyover of what it is that we talked about last week. So obviously we're talking about the Sabbath. Now that's kind of a, maybe a weird word to some of you, the Sabbath, it comes with certain connotations. But let me just uh, define it this way, um, really simply. Uh, call it the way my family calls it. We call it our stop day, 24 hours where we stop. And I talked a little bit about last week, the what. So what is the Sabbath? What is it, this thing that we're talking about that I'm saying and the Bible is saying is so important? Well, the first thing that we did last week is, is I laid out that we are to observe the Sabbath, we're to keep the Sabbath because it is holy. It is holy. We looked at Exodus 31.14 where it says observe the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. Now remember, I mentioned, and we all know the story, whether you've been in church or you haven't been in church, we, we know that God created everything in six days, and then he, he took a breather on the seventh day, right? He rested. We, we know this. But last week, I, I mentioned this. I said that God didn't rest and this is critical. God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was exhausted. Exhaustion, tiredness, comes from what? Limitation. And exceeding one's limitation. And so to suggest that God needed to rest or that he was exhausted would, do, would suggest then that he has limitation. But if he has limitation, he would cease being what? He would God. He would cease being God. So God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he is holy. He rested because he is holy. In that, everything God does... Everything God does is holy. Here's the mathematical question that Matthew Sleeth lays out in his book that I put into actually a formula to help us understand this. The first is this. God is holy, period. God is holy. The second is that God rested. So if God is holy and God rested then that means that rest is holy. Rest is holy. In that everything, everything God does is holy. And so if God rested, then we can only summate that rest is a holy act. And if rest is holy, then it is critical. If rest is holy, then it is utterly important for us. And if rest is holy, then it should be a priority. We're going to look at the word priority this morning. This is an interesting word, priority. This is a word that you probably use many, many, many times. We talk about 
What is your priority? Uh, we, you could, if I asked you, give me a list of priorities, you would probably rattle some off. Every January 1st, we think about, you know, our priorities and where are we placing our priorities. And there are people in this world who make a living doing seminars on how you can manage your priorities. But what does priority mean? What does that word mean, priority? Here's a basic definition. The highest in importance, the highest in task or rank, the highest in privilege. So the highest, the first, the utmost in importance, the highest, the first, the utmost in rank, or the highest, or the most important, the first in privilege. Now this word, as any word, any word has come into existence at a certain time in history. Every word that we speak at one point did not exist, right? The word priority came into existence somewhere in the 1400s. That's when we first start seeing it. And that word had a very basic meaning. It didn't actually, that word, the definition, and this isn't the case with a lot of other words, but that, that word, that definition has largely remained the same in that when it came into existence in the 1400s, it basically meant to convey the very first thing. The very first thing. And here's an interesting, interesting truth about this word priority is that it remained a singular word for 500 years. There is no reference of this word being anything but singular for 500 years after its creation until the 1900s and something interesting happened. In the 1900s, sometime in the 1900s, we took away the Y and we added three letters, I-E-S. And so priority, the highest in importance, the first thing suddenly became priorities. So when once priority, singular, meant that there could be only one most important thing at a time, only one first, suddenly now there became this massive collection of most important things. When first there was a singular, first, most highest important thing, singular, now all of a sudden there were most important things. So what's the problem with that? Why is that such a big deal? Why in the world am I making such a big deal about this? Well, here's the deal. We cannot, it is impossible physiologically, esoterically, it is literally impossible for us to have multiple first things. We cannot. 
So this is the truth. If, if you have priorities, plural, if you have a list of priorities, then you have no priority. If you have priorities, a list that you seek to manage, then you have no priority. And here is the spiritual implication. This means that if you have a list of priorities, plural, in your life, and subsequently you have no singular priority, then your priority is not and can never be Jesus. Think about that. If you live your life based on a set of priorities, then you have no priority. You have no first thing. And if you have no first thing, then your priority cannot, is not, and will not be Jesus. Let's look at the progression of the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I would wonder how many of us could actually maybe recite the Ten Commandments. I won't put you to the test. But we kind of know what they are, don't we? we maybe. Do you know what the first three are? The first three are all about God. So let's look at those really quick. First commandment. We see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Real simple. I am it. I am it. I am God. There are no other gods. What is he saying here? I am first. I am priority. So that's the first commandment. Second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, again, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So in the first commandment, he's saying, I'm it. I am God. That's it. I am priority. In the second commandment, he's saying, you shouldn't worship anything else but me. Not only am I it, not only am I God, I am priority, but your worship should only be to me. And then the third commandment, Exodus again, chapter 20, verse 7a, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So first, commandment one, I am God, I am it, I am priority. Second commandment, you should not worship Anything else, you should only worship me because I am priority. And third commandment is that you should see my name as holy, as reverent, as transcendent, and treat it as such. These three commandments are laying out this foundation, this foundation where God is saying, I am first. And then the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment. Remember we talked about this last week. This is a big deal, the fourth commandment. Keeping the Sabbath. 
Exodus 20, chapter, or ch- yeah, tw- chapter 20, verse 8, remember, and that's a key word, remember the Sabbath day. Last week I said this, I said that if the Ten Commandments were an apple pie, and who doesn't love apple pie? The Ten Commandments were an apple pie, and you sliced it based on the size of the commandments, meaning that the number of words that are given to each commandment, you would want to choose the fourth commandment because it'd be the biggest piece. Actually, it would be a third of the pie. We've got to pay attention to those things because God's saying something here. First three commandments, I am first. I am first. Don't worship anything else but me. And revere my name. Revere who I am. And then the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day. So why do you think number four follows the previous three? Could it be that there's a reason why this is where it's at? The reason is because when we do number four, when we observe the Sabbath, when we keep the Sabbath, when we set aside 24 hours to pause, to reflect, to lean into God, to focus our eyes on Christ, to give us the space, to be present. When we do that, when we remember to do that, we learn to keep God the priority. In that commandment number four, the Sabbath, remember to keep the Sabbath, is what makes the other three possible. When we give us our, our, ourselves that space, when we give ourselves the ability to be present and to rest, when we do that, we're able then to keep God the priority instead of relying on a list of priorities subsequently revealing that we have no priority. Jesus clarifies this in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, remember we talked about last week, we said that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to abolish it or get rid of it, but he came to clarify it. The nature, the meaning, the reason for the law. And so he does that here in Matthew 6. He's actually giving clarification and fulfillment to what it means to keep the Sabbath. He says this in verse 31 of chapter 6. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. I've fallen into this trap myself. I've actually probably preached on this passage and used the context of worry or don't worry as the basic foundation, but actually that's not what this passage is about. This passage isn't about worry or not worrying. This passage is about priority. What is your singular 
priority. Jesus, Jesus makes it very clear in this passage what your first should be. God, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first, first, priority, God's righteousness. And Jesus is also doing something very, very uh, interesting th- here. You know, we forget, we forget that, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. I know this is crude, but it's helpful. Jesus pooped, all right? He was a person. He had his highs and his lows. He struggled just like the rest of us. He probably had really bad B.O., He empathizes. Man, there's moments where Jesus was tired. There's moments where Jesus was in anguish. There's moments where Jesus, uh, he was sorrowful. He understands what it's like to live in this world because he did it. And he's he's empathizing with us here. He's saying, I know it's hard not focusing on things like food. I know it's hard not focusing on things like money or shelter or jobs or finances or relationships. I get it. I know that's tough. But here's the deal. Jesus is ultimately saying that regardless of those things, as difficult as that can be, when we eliminate the I-E-S... When we eliminate the I-E-S and we keep rather a singular priority, not priorities, but a first, an actual first, what does Jesus say happens? At the end of that passage in Matthew 6, verse 33, all these things will be given to you. All these things. I am absolutely excited to share this journey with you. This is such a passionate, informative experience for me personally. I I, I confess to you last week, I'm 44 years old, and it wasn't until a year and a half ago that I actually started taking the Sabbath seriously. And our family doing it together, that's only three months old. I bet our kids don't quite know what they think about it yet. Well, we're working on it one step at a time, right? But I got to tell you, my wife and I, we were talking about this yesterday. This has been one of the best things that we have ever done in our lives. It hasn't, the sky hasn't opened up and there haven't been a crowd of angels that have been singing hallelujah in our lives, but it has caused us to focus and to see things and to experience life in a way that we probably wouldn't be able to do. We, I know we wouldn't be able to do without this. It's like, it's like we just recently found a few weeks ago this place called Max Fish and Chips. Anybody been there in Roseville? Holy cow! I'm not being endorsed by this. It is amazing. It's a, literally a shack, and it is incredible. And I'm telling people about it. I just told you. That's how excited I am about this. This has been, this has been life-changing for me and my family. 
and I want you to experience this. You need to help underline the why, because that's what we're talking about. Why? Why? Why do we keep the Sabbath? Why is that important? I want to give you a little quick example here. So, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite authors, and uh, one of his earlier books is called The Tipping Point. Great book. And uh, in that book, he points to a study done a number of years ago. It was conducted at Princeton University by psychologists John Darley and Daniel Batson, all right? And what they did is they took a group of seminary students, and for those of you who may not know what a seminary student is, it's someone who goes to a specific school for the, really the sole purpose of one day becoming a pastor. And so they, they brought this collection of seminary students into one of the buildings there, and they gave them first a questionnaire. They gave them a questionnaire, and they asked them why it is that they decided to study theology, that is, the study of God. Why did they get into this business of being a seminary student? And then the next thing that they did is they asked each seminary student to prepare a message, a sermon, and they gave, they assigned one of two topics to each student. So one of the topics that they gave to the students was uh, uh, speak about the relevance of the professional clergy or pastor to the religious vocation. That was one of the topics. And to the other half of the seminary students, they asked them to prepare a message or a sermon about the Good Samaritan. You know the story about the Good Samaritan, right? You know, there was a Samaritan that was robbed and left for dead on the side of the road, and you had a priest and a Levite who, I'm sorry, not a, it was a, um, a Jewish man that was, that was robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road, and you had a, a priest and a Levite that came by and just walked right by them. You would think that they would help, but they didn't. I actually did a message on this a, f- a few months ago. Um, and then you had a Samaritan come by, and the Samaritans and Jews, man, they were, they were not friends. And the Samaritan took time and resources and helped this man. Okay, so that's the story. So they were given these two assignments. He either preached the message on this, so they gave that to half of the people, and then they said for the other half of these seminary students, preach a message on the Good Samaritan. So then each, after they prepared this, they did the questionnaire, they prepared the message, then they instructed each seminary student that they had to go to another building. So they had to leave this building, go outside, go to an adjacent building, and there's going to be a committee there that is waiting to listen to them preach this message on the topic that they've been assigned. But this is, this is where they threw in a wrench, right? They said to half of them, a mix of those two topics, those two message topics. They said to half of them um, individually, you know, we went over time. We're at, so we're behind schedule, and we're running late, and you need to get over there ASAP because they're waiting on you. And then the other half, again, a mixture of those two topics, they said individually the opposite. They said, you know what? Uh, we actually got done early. Um, there's no rush. We have, you have all the time that you need Head over there whenever you like, and, uh, and then they'll be waiting to hear from you. But here's the catch. There was an actor, and any good, good study like this, you have somebody who's pretending, and there was an actor who was pretending 
to have been uh, beaten and uh, attacked and was laying on the side of the road against the gutter and he was disheveled and bruised and battered and he was groaning and moaning. And he was stationed in such a way where he was in between the two buildings. And so each of these seminary students would, would walk by. Now you would think, you would think that the seminary students, especially those that had just prepared a message about the Good Samaritan, would take a moment, would take the time and stop and help this person, right? But that's not what they found. So these were the results. The answers to their questionnaire that they took, nor the content of their message, both of these had nothing to do with whether they stopped to help this man or not. Do you know what made the difference? The time was whether they felt they had the time. So statistically, those that were told that they had no time, that they were running late, that they had to get over their ASAP, only 10% of those seminary students actually stopped to help this man. But for those that were told that they had time, that we got done early, there's no rush, nearly 70% of those seminary students helped this man. That's a staggering difference. So what does this tell me? Well, this, the way that Malcolm Gladwell laid it out in his book, Tipping Point, is not how it is that I'm applying it now in this moment, but it, 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 it caught my attention. Because living life, living life when we take our time, when we rest, when we're still, when we intentionally become present, when we do that, that it mathematically increases our likelihood of living in the moment by over 50%. So this is telling me that our intent, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your intent is. It doesn't matter what your, what your goodwill is. It doesn't matter whether, whether you are a Christian or not or whether you go to church or not. What matters is whether or not you allow yourself the time and the space and the presence to be mindful of where God is leading, to be mindful of the needs of people around you. It's our relationship with time that matters. 24 straight hours. 24 straight hours without phones, without computers, without social media, without a clock. The average person checks their phone, for instance, 110 times a day. That's why the Sabbath is so important. That's why this is so important because it actually, it literally is life-giving. It fills you with the awareness and the presence that you desperately need to live life the way that God intended. 
That's why God set the example. That's why it's so important. That's why it's such a holy act because when we take the time, when we are still, when we are present, we start seeing God. Our vision becomes clear. You ever, you ever look at one of those pictures where you have to look at the center long enough for the picture to start materializing? That's what we have to do. We have to, we have, to have pinpoint precision on our focus on God. And you need to take the time. And the reason we need to take the time is because we need things to sink in. What do they tell you in advertising? Six times you got to get that message out for people for something to stick, the stickiness of that. We need this to sink in. In 24 hours, the Sabbath, it gives us the time, the time to be able to see God and to be able to lean into Him to not lean on other things, to not be so confounded or distracted by our in vain list of priorities, but to instead actually live out what a priority is. God first, first. What do they tell you when you dive into your finances? If you and I were to sit down and I was to talk about your finances, I would say there are two things that you need to do. The first before you do anything else is to give. You need to give. And the second is you need to save. Why do we do that? Because if we don't make that first, it will never be. That's why this needs to be important to you. It's because I guarantee if you put this in your life, if you laser point the Sabbath in your life, all these things will be given to you. William Law, the 17th century priest, he said it best. He says this, if you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. 